Welcome to Worship with Bethel Maidstone United Church. My name is Katherine Elsden. I'm the Congregational Minister, and this podcast is an outreach ministry allowing you to connect to the worship life of our church. We are in the midst of an Advent series based on Matt Rawls' book, The Redemption of Scrooge. We're journeying to Christmas with Ebenezer Scrooge, Bob Cratchit, and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Along the way, we are rediscovering the meaning of Christ's birth in Bethlehem and the peace, hope, love, and joy he brings. This is the third episode in our series, exploring the spirit of Christmas present and the gift of love. Pete and I are celebrating our 10th Christmas together this year. And the first Christmas we spent together, when it came to gifts, I really knocked it out of the park. Pete is a basketball nut, I'm sure some of you know, and um, that Christmas he had mentioned that he had heard a sports talk radio host describing his own Christmas tree in his man cave that was decorated entirely in sports memorabilia. And so what I did that year was I went out and bought a pack of uh, basketball cards, the 2010-2011 season, and I used them to create garland and Christmas ornaments, and he opened this up and he just thought this was the funniest, greatest thing ever. Um, What I failed to perceive at the time was that these Christmas uh, basketball card ornaments would become a cherished tradition placed on the tree front and center every year afterward. (laughs) I made them like with twine, you know, it's not the frilly, uh, sparkly, gold and white, perfect designer Christmas tree look. I can say that for sure. Pete kind of knows that they're not my favorite look and I actually think that kind of adds to their appeal for him. (laughs) And if that wasn't enough, Get this, this year, um, one of the Christmas ornaments that's made from a basketball card that we have is a card of Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. And this year, he placed it front and center on the tree. And as he's hanging it, he tells me that this card is likely worth about $200 now if I hadn't punched a hole in it. (laughs) So that was one of my greatest gifts. I'm wondering, and I may have asked this of you a couple of years ago, but humor me again. What are some of the best gifts that you have given or received? Jean. And who made that? Can I say? <laughs> Judy. Judy. Oh. So it's a handmade gift. It is. And it's so practical. And on the card it says, may you experience love, peace, and joy. And then on the other side, the card says, may you experience love, peace, and joy, and never run out of toilet paper. 
So practical, creative, thoughtful, and handmade. Those are some. <laughs> Maybe also a fire hazard. But those are some of the characteristics of great gifts, for sure. Handmade, thoughtful, fun, brings you joy. What else? Other examples? That's a gift to you, is it? A family Christmas dinner. Absolutely. And that's often a labor of love and teamwork. So how old are you? You were Rob was four years old when you got a model tractor. And you still have it. They just I don't think they make toys like that anymore in terms of longevity, you know? And you just thought that was the best thing? That's awesome. Any other examples? Quilling crosses. Oh, okay. Okay, on velvet and frames. So something that took a lot of time and a lot of attention and is handmade. And do you still have one or you do? Two of them. That's very special. And Connie has one more. Oh, and you have one. Wow. Well, Jean, I hope your handmade toilet paper craft gets handed down for generations in your family, too. <laughs> so. So handmade, thoughtful um, gifts that we cherish over years, and often we cherish the memories that are associated with them too, right? Um, and I think that's true for, for Pete and his basketball cards. They, they're, they're comprised of these random players from 2010, but the, every year while he's hanging them up, they kind of remind him of that time in our lives, and it's special, and he's, he clearly enjoys it. And I've come to, even though I joke about them, I really have come over the last decade to embrace the basketball card ornaments because Pete so clearly enjoys them. And I've embraced them as kind of a reminder about having right priorities this time of year. You know, it's a simple thing, but it just reminds me that the point of it all, right, the point of this gift-giving season is to give the gift of love and joy to each other. And, uh, the point is not to have the perfect designer Christmas tree. In this week's chapter of A Christmas Carol, Scrooge gets a lesson in right priorities from his experiences with the ghost of Christmas present. In it, the spirit takes Scrooge on kind of a tour of Christmas celebrations in the present. They start by going through the streets of town and it's just snowed, people are shoveling, and they're laughing and throwing snowballs and greeting each other kindly with um, you know, warm wishes for the season. Shops are filled with chestnuts and pears and apples and cakes. Bells are ringing, calling people to church and chapel, wearing their best clothes and happiest faces. Next, they head to a modest home of Scrooge's clerk, Bob, 
Bob Cratchit. They're all wearing their best and working excitedly together to create the Christmas dinner. Um, but their clothes are modest. They're not uh, a family of wealth. Daughter Martha arrives, and then Tiny Tim, who is a, you know, a child grappling with disability and sickness, and his father, Bob, return from church. Each of those people greeted with joy and enthusiasm by the whole family. They have a dinner of goose and mashed potatoes and applesauce. There's just barely enough to go around, but the crowd of family is delighted by the meal. And then the steaming pudding is brought out, blazing in brandy with a Christmas sprig of holly on top. A wonderful pudding, and Bob Cratchit declares calmly that he regards it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. They round out the feast with a toast in the family glassware, consisting of two tumblers and a custard cup that's missing its handle. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us, declares Bob, and everybody joins in. Tiny Tim, last of all, God bless us, everyone. It's a modest celebration, but, um, but the joy that the family takes in it and in each other's presence is evident. As Scrooge and the spirit survey this domestic scene just before they leave, the narrator comments on the Cratchits on their celebrations. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes scanty. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them all, and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. From the bustle of the city streets and the revelers, the spirit takes Scrooge to the moors, to a mining camp and a mud stone hut in which four generations of the family are singing Christmas carols together. From there, Scrooge is swept over water to a lighthouse where they observe two older men who keep the watch of the light, sharing a can of grog and singing together. Next, they visit a ship at sea where the officers who had the watch share kindly words, songs, and stories of Christmas's past and families that they're missing. And finally, Scrooge is swept up to the bright and comfortable parlor room of his nephew, Fred. Fred's hosting a dinner party with friends. He and his young wife are having good food and fun conversation and parlor games. So there's a lot of laughter and cheerfulness in this scene, and Scrooge himself gets really excited. He gets really into it. He starts playing along with the games, even though the... Uh, Attendees can't tell that he's there. And when it's time to go, the spirit is trying to usher him out and he wants to stay for just one more game. The spirit has taken Scrooge on a tour of different Christmas celebrations. So people, different walks of life, in different places, with different means. This panorama shouldn't be used to romanticize poverty, but rather emphasize simplicity and riches of a different sort. The warmth of loving relationships, laughter, song, good food. These scenes contrast sharply, if you can cast your mind back, to the scenes of Scrooge's own home, which is dark and lonely and cold, and represents his own heart and the things that he has prioritized. 
We can recall, in addition, the Spirit's first visit, reminding Scrooge of his past fiancée, Belle, who broke off their engagement because he had prioritized wealth over their love. So this scene of celebration and Christmas present contrasts sharply with what Scrooge has prioritized in his own life. What's notable about all of those scenes of celebration is that there is no gift giving. In fact, other than the turkey that Scrooge gifts to Bob Cratchit at the end of the novel, there is no gift giving throughout the whole book. The tour of festivities offered by the spirit of Christmas present emphasizes that the greatest gift of Christmas is love. That's a gift most fully embodied in the Christ child. Christ is a gift of love given in love. We recall the words of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christ is given in love, and Christ's gift to us all is love. Hear these words from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Christ is a gift given in love, and Christ's love itself is a gift given for all. That's a gift that goes beyond the Christmas season. It lasts all year long. Scrooge has blinded himself to that gift, but now with the ghost of Christmas present, his priorities and perspectives are being shaken to the core. And I think it can feel that way for us this year as well. The pandemic has shaken our priorities and perspectives to the core. Last week's service spoke of the importance of addressing the grief associated with this Christmas because we're not able to gather and to celebrate in the ways we would wish. I heard an interesting interview on CBC Radio's cross-country checkup last week with a professor, Demetrius Zigalatis. He's a psychology and anthropology professor who studies the importance of holiday rituals. And I think he, he offers some insight into why this Christmas is challenging. He described that ritual is fundamentally important to human beings because it serves functions for both personal reasons and collectively. Ritual helps alleviate daily anxieties by imposing a sense of structure in our lives, he says. Because rituals involve scripted behaviors that we do over and over, they give us a sense of regularity and control. Think about that morning cup of coffee, right? It tastes great, but it's also the comfort that that ritual brings to us, making it each morning. When rituals are performed collectively, as we do in the church, or as we do with our families around Christmas, they bring people together physically and also kind of emotionally, spiritually. They increase our sense of social cohesion and give us a sense of collective identity. Ritualization and ceremonies are found in every human society, he said. So they mark the most important moments in our lives. Think of transitions like uh, graduations and birthdays and uh, marriages. Think of personal accomplishments, seasonal and religious events. 
and they're rich in pageantry. They stimulate all of our senses. Around Christmas time, we hang lights, we wear special clothing, we make special foods, we listen to special music, all of this contributing to create special memories. And these, he says, play a major role, these special memories, in shaping our narrative self. It's a sense of who we are at the very core so that when we are not able to engage in these rituals, it can feel like uh, we are losing a small part of our own identity, personally and collectively. In times of uncertainty, when the ground is shifting underneath us, people feel more keenly that they need these rituals to provide comfort and a sense of identity and meaning. Those rituals can be Christmas traditions in our homes. They can be things like um, gathering together here for candlelight service on Christmas Eve. We're all missing those moments to share food and music, visiting, unwrapping presents together. But I think Dickens' novel actually uh, provides an important reminder that Christmas has not always been thus. In preparation for this series, I read a book called, um, well, it's by Les Standiford, and it's boldly called The Man Who Invented Christmas, How Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, Rescued His Career and Revived Our Holiday Spirits. So in the book, Standiford writes that Christmas in 1843, when Dickens' novel came out, was not at all the premier occasion it is today. There was no Christmas cards in 1843 England. This isn't really that long ago either. No Christmas trees at royal residences or white houses. No Christmas turkeys. No department store Santa. No outpouring of Yuletide greetings. No week-long break from business into the new year. No great gift giving. No ubiquitous public displays of nativity scene. No holiday lighting extravaganzas no plethora of midnight church services. It was actually a relatively minor holiday, more in line with our Labor Day now. Usually consisted of going to church, maybe you got the day off, and you'd likely gather with family for a larger than usual meal. The traditional dish was goose. In fact, if we, if we look even farther back, for the first several hundred years of Christian practice, um, it was Easter, and continues to be, the high holy day of the year, and Christmas was not celebrated at all. It wasn't until the 4th century that Pope Julius I designated December 25th as the day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So, while we may feel very attached and firmly planted in our Christmas traditions, Christmas has not always been thus. There is no one right way to celebrate Christmas. In A Christmas Carol, the ghost of Christmas present provides a panorama of people celebrating in different places, in different ways. A spirit of love and kindness, a spirit of care for our neighbor, a spirit of gratitude permeates all those scenes. And that's the spirit that underpins all of our Christmas traditions. So the question this year is, how do we tap into that spirit, even amid COVID restrictions? It may be letter writing and Zoom visits, phone calls, porch drop-offs, charitable donations, time spent in prayer and scripture reading and music, just simple expressions of love and devotion for our family and friends, for ourselves, for those in need, for our God. I invite you to reflect, how might I give the gift of love this Christmas. 
our gift giving and merrymaking will look different this year. But the greatest gift of Christmas, the love and presence of God, remains the same yesterday, today, and always. For, as it's written in Romans chapter 8, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May that love inspire your giving and your gratitude this Christmas time and all the time. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you appreciated this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and share it with your friends. Join us for our next episode in which we will meet the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.